0: Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor because it allows me to record without having to spend thousands of dollars on equipment that I would probably have difficulty using anyways. So Anchor makes it all possible with a simple app. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Mavs, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mavs on the Rats Out Review Network. Happy 2020, everybody. Yes, I realize I'm 15 or 16 days late in the game, but so what? And I realize that I've been away for a while, but again, so what? <laughs> Anyways, welcome to the Music is Live podcast. This is Lou Mavs coming to you straight from the... Studio Corolla, a.k.a. my car, after driving a night of Uber. Just wanted to get some thoughts out there. Um, 2020, and it's already kind of started out to be a bummer. But uh, before I do that, just want to give a big shout out to uh, Anchor FM, again, for the platform that I have to do a podcast to... Uh, everyone who listens on platforms such as iTunes, uh, Google, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the Rat Salad Review Network, and a big congratulatory welcome aboard to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, Rafiera and Ian Wadley, welcome to the families. Well, welcome to the family. I should say. Love families. I mean, we're all a bunch of different podcasters on uh, Wayne's Great Network. And, you know, it's just great to be in such company. And uh, I recommend everybody listen to their episode that they just did. um, Which is funny because it was released after I started recording this episode. But (laughs) one of the segments got lost. So I'm redoing it again. But uh, anyways, so... 2020 has already kind of started out to be a real bummer, unfortunately. We lost possibly the greatest drummer of the last, God, I would say at least 50 years. Um, 50 years, well, it's officially been, let's see, he joined Rush in 1974, uh, replacing John Rutsey. So it's close to 50 years, but I would, you know, the last five decades I'm talking about the legendary drummer Neil Peart, who is my favorite drummer of all time and someone that I had the pleasure of seeing perform live twice uh, on the uh, Clockwork Angels tour and the R40 tour. First one in Brooklyn, second one at the Garden. Uh, this hits me hard. Normally, I don't take stock in the death of celebrities because, uh, <laughs> well, let's let's face facts. Um, I don't think celebrities are people that need to be respected and put on a huge pedestal. You know, uh, these are people who make a lot of money putting on a show, performing, you know, and with the way celebrity has gone with this entitlement to have to tell people how to live, you know, who to vote for, what to eat and what to drink, you know, I can't stand people who lecture others to fulfill their narrative. I can't stand it. You know, I have a tendency of, not lashing out at these people, but just laughing at them. Like, I could care less what Alec Baldwin has to say. You know, I stopped watching Saturday Night Live a long time ago. Because not only do I not find it funny, I just don't find it entertaining. The the only two sketches that they did that I think have any merit was when Adam Driver portrayed an oil baron and went to his son's uh, what is it, Career Day, which was a hilarious sketch. I mean, Adam Driver, I mean, is is a phenomenal actor. This guy kept a straight face on the whole time. And the other one would have to be the Joker uh, parody of Oscar the Grouch with uh, the actor from, from Stranger Things. I forget his name. Uh, David... David Harbour, that's his name. Those are the only two things I think they did that have any merit in the past, I don't know, 15 years. But there's a difference between being a celebrity and being a musician of Neil Peart's uh, caliber and character. I was actually going to say character before caliber, but I think uh, both of them uh, actually, both of them, I think, specifying Neil to a T. Um, This is a man who appreciated his privacy and loved and respected his fans and was one of those guys who shied away from being heralded as, you know, the best drummer. Uh, He he, he didn't want to believe his own hype. You know, he stayed humble. He he kept going back for drum lessons just to get better. There's only one other musician that I, that I know of who did that. And that was Randy Rhodes. You know, when Ozzy Osbourne would stop, uh, you know, on tour stops, he'd actually find the address of a local uh, music shop, um, music school and say, teach me something I don't know. And this is a guy who studied the drumming style of Buddy Rich under Freddie Gruber, you know, completely changing completely changing his 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 approach to drumming. I mean let's face facts Neil Peart from Fly by Night is not the same Neil Peart that played on albums such as Test for Echo On. You know, as a drummer he I can't believe I'm gonna say this. He got better Not to say that he was ever bad, but he was amazing when he first came out and only got better because he pushed himself to be better. This man should be respected by all musicians, not just drummers, but all musicians, because he is definitely a testament to one mastering their craft. And again, you know, it doesn't matter if you work a full-time job, if you're a, a, a full-time musician, all of us can get better. And I think that we should strive to get better. You settle for complacency, just do me a favor, put your freaking instrument down. Uh, you know, what's the point? You know, leave it to somebody who's hungrier. You know, and 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 that's that's what I loved about Neil Peart. I mean, this guy only got better with time. And when he realized that he couldn't cut it anymore, he just said, you know what? I don't want to disrespect the songs. I don't want to disrespect, you know, the band. I don't want to disrespect the fans. I don't want to disrespect my playing. Consider me retired. And for the last four plus years, he was living a quiet life with his wife, Carrie, and his daughter, Olivia, you know, f- so happy that he had a second chance after losing his daughter in a car accident and then losing his wife to cancer, all in the span of less than a year, like around ninety-seven. You know, I mean, a, a tr- the tragedy that he that, that that he bounced back from. How does one do that? You know, and I know Neil wasn't the man of faith. I mean, he was an agnostic. Um, You know, he didn't believe in an afterlife. He didn't believe in the Christian sense of, you know, what heaven was. But the way he lived, you know, you couldn't meet a more godly person. I mean, everyone that met him said, you know, he was kind to everyone that he met, that he met. And, you know, always one to start a conversation with, especially with people who didn't know who he was. You know, he he was an approachable person. And the thing that I think Neil gave us just as much as his talent and his creativity was, you know, his love. You know, the love that he had for his family. How many musicians out there do you know cheating on their significant others? You know, just to get the rocks off, or just to get lonely. You know, Rush was never like a groupie band. Yeah, sure, they were a pop band, but you know, I mean, so what? One guy does pot; it doesn't mean that you know he's a cheater or he's you know it's false equivalency. You know, I mean, he's <laughs> you know, and, and Neil always you know he even said in the documentary Beyond the Light of Stage, you know, he was a reader. He loved books. You know, he used Samuel Taylor Coleridge. His poem Kubla Khan, you know, helped spark the lyrics behind the song Xanadu, which is my all-time favorite Rush song. You know, I mean, th- this guy was no... Sl- I mean, he wrote a song based on Apollo and Dionysius, Hemispheres. And about you know, the battle between, you know, the two dichotomies. How many people could write songs like that? You know, I, I defy you to point out another lyricist that had Neil's creativity. You can't. He was one of a kind. My story with Rush begins when I was, I want to say, four years old, you know, because that's the earliest that I can remember back. And I say that because I know that the first movie I ever saw in a theater was either Gremlins or Ghostbusters, and both came out in 1984. So that's my earliest memories. And I remember looking through my brother's audio cassettes, both of them, Tony and Mike. And Mike had almost every Rush album. And I remember the first Rush song that I ever heard was Subdivisions off the Signals album. So Signals was my first Rush album. Um, And I loved Side 1 so much, and that consisted of Subdivisions, Analog Kid, Chemistry, and Digital Man, that I played that side repeatedly. Over and over and over and over and over again. I didn't listen to Signals straightforward until about 1994 when I started getting even heavier into Rush. But I remember Subdivisions was a song, not that it spoke to me lyrically at the time, but musically I thought it was the coolest thing I ever heard. And mind you, this is at a time where most kids my age are listening to There Are All Kinds of People in Your Neighborhood from Sesame Street, you know, or Rubber Ducky or. You know, some crap like that. But Subdivisions was a song when I heard it, you know, I thought it was cool. I mean, here I am at four years old thinking it was the coolest thing that I ever heard. And the next cassette that I put on, he had was Moving Pictures. And of course, what starts that album? Tom Sawyer. Growl Intact. Blown away by what I was hearing. And again, you know, side one. Listened to it repeatedly. Loved every song. Tom Sawyer, Red Barchetta, YYZ, and Limelight. I'll touch on Limelight later on in in this episode. But that was how I first got exposed to Rush. And... I loved it then, and you know, my, and I remember my brother Mike would buy every album as it was coming out. So, I remember seeing the older cassettes, but I never listened to them. I mean, he had the self-titled debut, he had Fly By Night, he had Caressa Steel. he had Twenty One Twelve. He did not have Farewell to Kings or Hemispheres, which is funny because today those are two of my favorite Rush albums of all time. Um, so. I didn't really start getting hardcore into them until, like, later on, after Roll the Bones came out. And I think it actually took Counterparts, which came out in 93, where I was about 13 years old, for me to say, holy crap, this band is freaking awesome. You know, it's like, I I remember Subdivisions, I remember Tom Sawyer, but I didn't really know anything else. And when I heard Stick It Out for the first time on the radio... Uh, my brother Mike went on and bought the uh, the CD. He bought that and Moving Pictures. And I remember listening to both of those albums around that time, 13 years old, and thinking, this band is friggin' incredible. And, like, they're, you know, they're making me want to listen to more of them, and they're actually making me want to be a better guitar player. Because I had picked up the guitar around 12 years old. At that time, I was religiously into Iron Maiden and, uh, you know, Def Leppard, Deep Purple. You know, like I I was really Black Sabbath. Like those are uh, bands that I would like sit down and try to teach myself how to play those songs and those guitar solos. But then when I heard Rush, it's like that was my game changer. So I listened to his counterpart's album. I thought it was really good. But then I heard Moving Pictures from start to finish. And blown away. I mean, Side 1 was incredible, but Side 2 had one of my favorite Rush songs ever, uh, Camera Eye. And as I got older, until like up about 10 years ago, I really started to appreciate Witch Hunt more so much so that I would have to say that that's my favorite song on the album. I know, it's weird. I mean, Witch Hunt is such a... uh rare track that um and it's starting to rain right now great uh which not not that it's a rare track but you know hardcore rush fans know witch hunt the average person who listens to classic rock radio you'll never hear witch hunt on on their station but still such an awesome song and he did the coolest thing for me so since he switched to cds and I had a Walkman, he actually gave me a Signals cassette, so finally at 13 years old, I was able to listen to Signals from start to finish, and this is 1994, and that was incredible for me. You know, just hearing what they were doing on that album, and I became a hardcore Rush fan because of Signals, more so than Moving Pictures, which I had heard before. You know, I love the movie pictures, but I love Signals that much more, which is hilarious because that's the last album that they did with Terry Brown, who produced every album of theirs from Fly By Night up until Signals, because he said he didn't like the fact that they were going a more electronic direction. You know, he wanted more guitar, bass, drums, vocals, not guitar, I should say, not drums, keyboards, and synthesizers, you know, vocals, bass, and guitar. So they went there. He went his way. They went their way. They were continuing more down the electronic sound with sequencing and things like that, which I love those albums. And I know there are a lot of hardcore fans who have loved them since the 70s who are not big on those albums. But again, you know, I would say that those Rush albums that came out in the 80s, although they may not be fan favorites amongst like the original batch of Rush fans, I mean, again, I would have to say that it's... My bias is because that was the period that I grew up with. You know, like, when I would hear those songs, when I I would hear Rush on the radio growing up, it was songs like Limelight and Tom Sawyer, uh, Spirit of Radio, Free Will, uh, what are some other ones? Uh, Big Money... And uh, just an early warning... I mean, I can remember vividly watching the video in 1985 on U68. Which was a UHF channel in the... uh I don't think it was a tri-state area. It was broadcasted from Newark, but we got it in Astoria, Queens. And uh what was it on? Time Standstill. You know, like, those were songs that I recognized as Rush. So... You guys may not like it, but I love that period. Uh, I don't think that there's a period of Rush's music that I don't find value in it. And you know what? That's that's fine. You know, everyone needs to admit to themselves, you know, where their limitations lie. You don't like Rush of the 80s after Grace Under Pressure? Good for you. That's cool. I love that period because that was my period. Now, fast forward to spring of '94. Now, Greek people, we celebrate the days of the of the saints that were named after. So, my name day came up around April, and I remember my dad gave me fifty bucks, and my brother said, uh, "What do you want to What do you want to buy with it?" I said, "I want to buy this," and I picked up. Chronicles by Rush, which was a compilation of like all their best songs from all their albums. He's And and he's like, why do you want to get that? And I said, well, I really only know Rush from the 80s. I don't know any Rush from the 70s, really. So he said, okay, fair enough. But wouldn't you want to buy something modern? And I'm like, what am I going to buy? I mean, 94. This was right around the time that Kurt Cobain committed suicide. So... That was popular. Nirvana, Pearl Jam. And with the exception of Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, I really didn't like a lot of the music that was coming out. Green Day was coming out, and I never liked Green Day. Offspring was the one band that I probably made the exception for. I thought they were like a punk rock version of Metallica, and I loved them. Still do. Um, But anyway, so Chronicles was my gateway to old school Rush. And... Holy shit, was I blown away. I mean, the stuff that they were doing in the 70s, I was just like, wow. You know, like, crazy time signatures, lightning-fast lead guitar solos, Neil Peart's drumming. Like, I always make a joke. I said, you know what? Neil Peart's probably the only guy who could have as big a drum kit as he does And find a way to use every piece flawlessly. Which is exactly what he did. Because again, I've seen him live twice. I've seen him myself. I know what he could do. Or I knew what he was possible of. And that was my gateway to wanting to buy the 70s catalog. So I started out with 2112. Blown away by the title track alone. And the title track, actually, I would have to credit with um, molding my philosophy on life that the individual is greater than the collective. And it's, it's funny, like, libertarian thought probably wasn't as Exposed as it was until Neil probably joined Rush because he was highly influenced by Ayn Rand and he wrote a lot of those songs, uh, with influence by novels such as Anthem, uh, The Fountain, uh, The Fountainhead, and um, Atlas Shrugged. And for a kid who was sick and tired of a feeling like he had to. Conform to everything that was going on around him at the time. You know, because I, I, look, I'm on a level with you. My early teenage years were a very dark period in my life. Um, I had very few friends, of which I'm glad to say that I'm still friends with those kids today. One of them is my brother in law, who actually took me to my first Rush concert. And, you know it, it was it was a very dark period for me because you know i was bullied and i felt like i had no one to turn to nowhere to go and rush's music made me feel like i had something to really to, to you know it was enough to make me think that i was worth something, even if I wasn't worth anything to anyone else. I'm worth something to me, and that's what I really got out of Rush's music. And I'm so grateful that my brother Mike turned me on to them because we treated Rush as they were our band. Like we we liked other bands, like we you know we liked the uh, Marillion, we even liked Depeche Mode. You know, like we we liked a lot of different bands, but Rush was our band, like we could, we were able to sit for hours and just talk about Rush's music, you know, and, and it was something that I miss because I don't have my brother anymore. Um, and I, you know, it's it's been over four years and I still miss him every day. But, you know, I feel like every time I listen to, you know, my Rush Stuff on my phone. I feel like he's in the passenger seat with me, you know, listening along, and we're air drumming, and you know he's <laughs> doing a really bad Getty Lee impersonation. So, I'm um, I'm I'm so grateful to him for introducing me to Rush, um, because it came at a period in my life where I needed it. You know, it's it sucks when you're in your early teenage years and you feel like you have no one to turn to because everyone thinks one way and you may not agree with that way. You may want to think for yourself and you're bullied for it or you're put down for it, you know? And am I grateful for being bullied? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm grateful for people having made fun of me and people for putting me down because it made them feel better about themselves. Because I don't think I would have known how much inner strength I had as a person until I was pushed to my limits. You know, like I went from a sleeping giant to a monster with everything that I did, whether it was my talent as a guitar player, or whether it was the way I treated people. And I never had to stoop to their level because it was the end thing. And I'm proud to say that I'm a happily married man with a beautiful, healthy daughter. You know, I own my own home. I have my master's degree. And a lot of these, well, I'm going to flat out say it, a lot of these assholes that bullied me are probably still living in their mom's basement. And have nothing to show for their lives. And if it wasn't for Rush's music, I probably wouldn't have found it in myself to say, Hey, screw these people. I don't have to be that way. I could be my way and, you know, find my own happiness through it. So I'm forever grateful to Neil Peart because his lyrics, my man, they just... You know, they're just, they're inspiring. You know, a lot of people want to put doom and gloom in their lyrics. A lot of people want to talk about, like, you know, how happy they are about their drug addiction or about how they treat women or whatever. And Rush was never like that. Rush was never like that. Quality musicians of, in, of integrity and just pure, unadulterated talent and drive. And they never cared about being rock stars. All they cared about was being good musicians and a good band. And how can you not respect that? How can you not, really? But continuing on to my uh my my uh my history with the band Rush, um so I really got so hardcore into their seventies that it took me a while really before I moved on to like their nineties stuff. Uh, Presto was the exception just because that, you know, uh, Show Don't Tell was on Chronicles. But, uh, albums like Roll the Bones and Test for Echo, I really didn't listen to until much later on. Counterparts was the exception to that. But, um, you know, I, I, Rush was a band that I always wanted to see in concert. I didn't end up seeing them until 2012. And the first concert I ever saw was, uh, February '99, it was the reunited Black Sabbath with Ozzy Osbourne, Bill Ward, Tony Iommi, and Geezer Butler with Pantera and Deftones opening for them. Pretty kick-ass first concert, if you ask me. So, I didn't get to see Rush at all until 2012. And I wouldn't have been able to have seen them in, in 1999 because they stopped touring in '97 after Neil lost his wife, uh, Jackie. And his daughter, uh, his daughter first in a car accident. And his daughter was only about a year older than me. And, you know, to lose your daughter and to lose your wife, like, less than a year later. I can only imagine what that does to somebody. I mean, mentally, emotionally. I mean, you don't want to go back to work. You don't want to pick up your instrument and practice. You know, you probably want to run away for a little bit, which is exactly what he did. You know, at the funeral for his daughter, he said, consider me retired to um, Getty and Alex. And they respected it. And that's one thing that you have to give Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson. They were the founding members of the band. Neil joined on right before they started recording Fly By Night. He joined for the American tour of the self-titled debut. So was Neil an original member? No. But they loved and respected Neil enough to say, We'll wait for you. Which is... I mean, how, how do you... How do you how do you measure how do you measure one sense of loyalty? How far does your loyalty go? Obviously, their loyalty was endless. Their loyalty was to Neil. I think that's such a a beautiful thing. The fact that they told Neil, "Take your time, do what you got to do," and Neil went on his motorcycle and for almost a year and a half rode around, you know, I think he put about 50,000 miles on his motorcycle, and he wrote a book. He released a book about his travels called Ghost Rider, which I own, which is a phenomenal read. You know, just reading about everything that he was doing and, you know, his path to healing. You know, so for about five years, we didn't hear anything about them. And then all of a sudden... 2002, Rush comes out with Vapor Trails. Were they as good as they were before? Were they worse? Were they better? You pop that CD on and you listen to One Little Victory and you say, holy shit, they're back. Which is exactly what I said when I first heard that album. You know, I mean, that was that, that was a CD that I was, I first time I listened to it was driving to work when I was working at Cablevision, and I listened to the CD from start to finish, and <clears throat> one little victory definitely hit me as a uh, like one of their best songs. But my favorite song on that album, I'd have to give it to Earthshine. I mean, <sighs> that was the only song off of Vapor Trails that my old Rush tribute band, Snakes and Arrows, performed live. And I'll tell you, it was fun to perform live. It hit me right in the gut every time we performed it live. I mean, it's just a great song. I'd put it up with anything that they've ever released, you know, in the past. So I missed my chance to see them on that tour. I missed my chance to see them on r 40 and missed a chance to see them on the Sinks and Arrows tour and the Time Machine tour where they performed moving pictures from start to finish. So I never thought I was ever going to see Rush live. And then all of a sudden in 2012, they released what I thought was the best album that they ever did, Clockwork Angels. I mean, that's a CD that was in my uh, player in my car For over a year. For over a freaking year. Start to finish every song. Like I wouldn't stop the CD or go back and listen to a song again. I would listen to the album in its entirety. Every time I turned my car on for over a year. I thought, how is it possible that these guys just released the best album that they ever did 38 years after they started or 38 years after they released their debut album. How is that possible? You know, the only other band that I could say did that is probably Judas Priest when they released Firepower. And those are the only two bands that I could say that their best albums were their most recent output. And and I don't care if you think I'm insane for saying that. It's it's my opinion. This is my podcast. Get your own damn platform if you have a problem with it. But every song on Clockwork Angels just hit me right in the gut. Every one of them. I mean, from the opening notes of Caravan, Moving Out to Brought Up to Believe, Be You to Be, and then the title track. Holy crap that I feel like I was whisked away to like some kind of like astro plane type thing. I mean, it was just the ride that those songs took you on songs such as um, Clockwork Angels, Halo Effect, Headlong Flight. Holy shit, man. I mean, just such killer songs. And then you wait till the end of the album. The Garden closes that album. And it's, it's almost surreal how that song was their swan song. The last song that they ever recorded for an album. And releases the final track. You know. And uh, I think about the lyrics. To the chorus. You know. The ones that, that. That begins with the measure of a life. is a measure of love and respect. You know. So hard to earn. So easily burned. In the fullness of time. A garden to nurture and protect. It's a measure of a life. You know. I. It's funny how that song helped me come to terms with my father's death from three years prior. That song helped me come to terms with my brother's death uh, three years after it came out. And I'm thinking about how that song should help us come to terms with Neil's loss. Look, I did not know Neil Peart. I never met the man. And all I know about him is whatever information that he put out. But the lyrics that the man wrote... As, as 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 much as his drumming is incredible. His lyrics, I thought, were just as incredible. And for the record, any of these stupid hipster magazines, just as Rolling Stone and Spin, who voted Rush Lyrics amongst the worst lyrics ever, I'd kindly like to tell Rolling Stone and Spin to kindly please... Go yourselves. Because Neil has brought more value and joy to the world through his music and lyrics than any of you scumbags have with any amount of trees you've cut down to release the toilet rags that you call magazines. Now getting back to the garden, just you know, a beautiful song where the lyrics really hit you hard. I mean, for me, it it it's helped me with closure from l- losing loved ones, and you know, as I was saying before, like I I never met Neil Peart, but you know, I'm so grateful. That he gifted us with his his lyrics and his music. You know, the inspiration that he gave so many people to pick up an instrument and just take the time and patience to learn and master it. You know, I, I can't say that about many musicians. You know, I mean, everyone knows who Eddie Van Halen is. Everyone knows who Randy Rhodes is. You know, everyone knows who the Beatles are. Buddy Rich. Uh... But Neil was just a class of his own. I mean, I'm not a drummer, and he's one of my favorite musicians. I'm not a lyricist, and he's one of my favorite songwriters. You know, it's okay to get influence from good people, you know, good musicians who only get better or only had only gotten better you know and, and and i think that it's 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 good to be influenced by outside your comfort zone because you know it might push you to write something or play something that you didn't think you had in you you know that that's the beauty of music and you know <sighs> yeah you know, i'm going i'm going to quote back to spirit of radio where he wrote that all this machinery making out of music can still be open hearted You know, there's, it it really is just a question of your honesty, you know, do you, do you love playing music because it brings you joy? Do you love writing music because you are inspired by it so much that it makes you want to release something to the world that you think they wouldn't, they would enjoy, you know, or... But, you know, you have to enjoy it first. You know, and, and, and I think that any artist out there who just puts content out just because, well, it's there, as opposed to, well, because I really believe in it. You know, rethink what you're doing. You know, I mean, every Rush song took time and effort and patience to sound as good as they did when they were released. You know, and and, and that's the true mark of a master crafts person, Which is exactly what I think Neil Peart and Getty and Alex were. They were just such amazing craftsmen at what they did. And the music that they created together is, I think, some of the best music ever released. And... I think every musician young and old can learn something from Neil in that it's important to always get better at your instrument. It's important to always improving your craft. It's important to you know remember why you do what you do and that's because there's a need inside of you to release good music or good art you know this this it's 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 important i think to it's it's important to give a little bit something of yourself so that like one day when you're gone people will remember you and go yeah that was a good song or yeah that was a great performance oh yeah that was a great art piece you know um And again, you know, I'm not talking about monetarily. I mean, I, I hope for everyone when it comes to their craft that the money will come. But worry about just being better. All right. There's a lot of crap that's out there that I don't understand how it gets played on the radio. I don't understand how it's as overexposed as it is. But I'm not buying it. And I think... If you're buying it because there's nothing else out there, save your money. Or invest in yourself and put something out there that you think is better. And don't feel like you need to you know, live up to the hype of this person or that person. Because guess what? You can be better. If they don't want to be better, if they just want to keep on releasing crap, well, let that not be a reflection of you. Be better. I think that's what Neil probably would have wanted all of us to do. Just be better. Be a better person. Be a better musician. Be a better artist. Be a better performer. Be a better entertainer. Just be better. But above all, never lose your humility and never lose your humanity. All right? Because... There's a lot of guys that came out in the 80s and the 70s who, you know, treated everyone like crap on the way up. And no one wants to touch them while they're on the way down or if they're at their lowest point today. So don't be like that. You know, it's funny. Like I think it was uh, David Spade in a a movie who, you know, told the guy wearing a a band t-shirt to a band concert, don't be that guy. You know what? (laughs) Be that guy, but don't be the guy who tells you not to be that guy. Be yourself. Because that's what Neil did. And we're all better for it. So rest in peace to Neil Peart. Thank you. For the great music that you've given us through the years. My condolences for your beloved wife, Carrie. Your daughter, Olivia. Your bandmates, Getty and Alex. And your parents, your siblings, your whole family and friends. And to all the Rush fans out there. Neil Peart, we salute you. So, I think if you want to know what my five favorite Rush albums are... uh, well, I think two albums that everyone should own are 2112 and Moving Pictures, because those are probably, I would say, the quintessential albums in their discography that people should know about. But my my five favorite Rush albums um, first would have to go Clockwork Angels, their last one, because it's just an amazing record. Second, Farewell to Kings, because that has my favorite Rush song of all time on it, Xanadu. Third, I'd have to say Hemispheres. Fourth, I'd have to say Permanent Waves. And if you need a reason why, I would just say Jacob's Ladder and Natural Science. And Signals, which was my first Rush album. So that's my top five right there. And uh, I think I owe everyone an explanation why I haven't done a podcast in over a month. First of all, I'm sorry for my absence. Uh, The holidays came up and uh, you know how it is when you have an infant. You know, you're buying like all these... Sesame Street type stuff and you know, you're driving Uber to make a little extra cash as well as gigging and working your full time job. So, you know, money got a little tight. So I spent most of December working and just spending time with family. So I do apologize that I haven't released a new episode, but also as much as I love doing my podcast, I have a hard time uh, releasing content if I feel like I have nothing valuable to say. So, you know, I don't think anyone wants to hear me go blah, 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 blah for about an hour. I'll leave that to Alex Lifeson at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. But, you know, I just didn't want to do that. I'd rather put something out of it felt like I had something to say. And with, you know, the death of Neil Peart, I felt like I had something to say because uh, I think it's important that, you know, people recognize that the world has lost a great talent and... You know, I know that there's other people that have uh, done uh, podcasts based on the life of Neil Peart, um, Ralph and Ian being one of them. I suggest check out their episode available on the Rat Salad Review Network. And, you know, just very grateful to Wayne that I have this platform to uh, be on the same network as them. And, uh... You know, uh, the goal is to not uh, take so long to release episodes from here on out. And again, I apologize for doing that. But, you know, time to get back to the swing of things and start podcasting again. So I'm back and hopefully I'll be back again with a new episode soon. I want to give a shout out to uh, J.Cat Morris and Yakuza Kick Radio. Uh, To Shaheen and Wrestling Overdose. uh, To Josh and Nesbitt over at Talking Maiden. To Dave and Dave of Dave and Dave Unchained. And to Aaron and Chris of the Decibel Geek Podcast. So check those podcasts out. They're some of my favorites. And um, that's about it. I'm about to turn in and go get some sleep. Because I got to work in the morning. (laughs) and, uh, yeah, that's, that's about it, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope the rest of 2020, uh, bid you well, and, you know, wish the best for everybody, all right, so, rest in peace, Neil Peart, 2020, let's make it a good one, have a good day, everyone, take care, bye-bye.